everyone welcome back to another episode of modern saas podcast today i have a very special guest uh, i didn't know her but i started following and every day i started following her on linkedin i kept getting impressed the wealth of knowledge she has welcome uh, mona akmal she is a founder and ceo of falcon.ai they're into revenue intelligence solution space so we operate in a similar space and there were a lot of ideas that i wanted to do talk to her but more importantly just to give you an experience in her background she started her career as a software developer turned into a product leader uh, at microsoft and then eventually at amperity and zulily as a vp of product and from there she jumped into starting a falcon journey mona welcome to the show would love to know start your journey what was the falcon's genesis how did you decide to start with it and introduce yourself Yeah, thank you Aditya. It's such a pleasure to be here. You know, we are uh uh big users of Avoma. We love your product, so it's especially fun to be on this with you and you and I have had so many fun founder conversations. Uh so let's see. Uh you know, the Falcon journey primarily started honestly because uh my peak performance mode is working with a small group of people solving a really hard technical problem and a really hard business problem. and doing it in a way that is joyous um and you know after doing the big corporate thing and the small company thing uh, this was honestly the only hill that was uh, left unclimbed was the founding experience so uh, it made total sense to do it and then the space that we decided was actually not revenue intelligence when we first started the company um it was uh how do we right size the roi on data because everyone and their grandmother is collecting gazillions of data points and writing snowflake billion dollar checks but the roi on that data asset is very low and it's only through trial and error and p- micro pivots that we realize that the lowest roi on data actually exists within go to market teams and i include that in um in go to market sales marketing sales development and account management your core revenue generating functions and so we wanted to right size the roi of data for go to market teams and that's the uh, version of falcon that you see today and you have been in on this journey for 3 and 1/2 years and so you have been selling pretty much actively for the last almost i would say 2 years plus and there's this whole uh, now you're scaling your team as well the the reason i wanted to cover a couple of topics today uh, for the whole combination of founderless sales and transitioning to the sales team uh, then there is this whole what are the expectation when you had when i'm following your advice on linkedin there are very clear things that how well you're doing the discovery demo there are some opinions that you have and i would love to understand go deep into a little bit of those areas as well and lastly we'll come back to the falcon journey knowing where the whole revenue intelligence space is going and how the gap and the excitement that you're seeing in the market as well so to start with because you talked about this whole uh, you started building it you did micro pivots that means you are talking to customers learning from the feedback and then probably also selling it throughout the journey as well when was the last time so you actually sold and have you transitioned officially to now your sales team or are you still involved in the sales today as of uh, falcon's journey 
So the last time I sold was on Friday. Uh, and, uh, I'm still very, very involved in uh, sales. And actually, one recent learning has been, um, you know, in recent, actually published a post about this a while back. And I didn't agree with them then, but now I agree with them blatantly, which is until you get to about 5 million in ARR, you should be the head of sales. You don't need a head of sales. Uh, so our team makeup is I am the head of sales and I have a team of fantastic uh, two BDRs and one full cycle AE. And I am a full cycle AE myself. And so I act as our sales engineer. I do demos. I do discovery calls. And I think that is critical. Uh, so I am not a fan anymore of this mad rush that we have as soon as we raise our series A that somehow we need to transition out of founder-led sales. I think that's bullshit. And the reason being because I've gone through that journey myself. And uh, when we obviously, and I, I want to clarify or verify this with you also, if you have also seen the similar journey as well. So when we obviously hired um, our first starter, not this was even before our series A as such, when we started hiring our sales reps, I started seeing the difference between the win rates and then the the velocity also started slowing down. Uh, win rates have dropped as well. And every time I used to think about, obviously, the common advice I got was, well, that's obvious. That's exactly the natural. You can't expect uh, founders' win rates to be same as uh, the new salesperson's win rate. And I used to be, but why? I was not a salesperson. I'm an engineer turned into a salesperson. So the whole reason... I hired salesperson or sales leaders was that they probably know better than I do. And the feedback was, Berlin, that's not how the case is. You have to accept this reality that the, the win rates are going to go down. Why do you think that's the perception? Have you seen that something similar in your own journey when you tried to hand it over? And uh, do you have an opinion that why that might be the case? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think there's a lot of conventional wisdom here that is all nonsense. So uh, we should really, I, I'm a big believer in listening or processing advice, but then making decisions based on my own observations, right? And so my observations are in the last three to five years, uh, the sales uh, field has exploded and a bunch of people that actually don't know how to sell are sellers, and sales leaders. And uh, you and I know this, that as startup founders, we cannot risk to have uh, poor performance, right? We just simply don't have the time or the runway to be able to uh, sustain a ramp up of nine months or 12 months, right? So one, I think um, win rates may be lower than we all expect and want because the industry is flooded with people that don't actually know how to sell. And that's directly correlated with how much venture capital money was pumped in the last three to five years. And it created this gold rush where anyone and everyone was like, if you want to make a quick buck, become a sales rep, right? So first is that. Second is, I think founders should never hire, and this is a hard-earned lesson, founders should never hire a sales rep or a sales leader if they believe that they can do a better job than them. Because... You have the magical power of three. You have all the business context about the space you are in. You have all the product context about what you do. And you have all the customer context about who you serve. Literally nobody on the planet can sell Avoma better than you can sell Avoma. So 
I agree, you should only bring in salespeople when you are expecting them to be able to do 80% of what you are able to do, right? Now, the key is, is the 80% that you are doing the same over and over and over again? It's about repeatability more than anything else. So I would say, one, I would not start by hiring a sales leader. I would try to hire up to 10 sales reps and manage them myself because I can be the best sales leader for them because I have the business context, the customer context, and the product context. I can then develop them at a much deeper level than just giving them, you know, cookie cutter sales playbooks and spreadsheets and frameworks that have honestly nothing to do with your business or my business, right? They are conventional wisdom. Second, um, I would continue selling because, uh, you know, the founder of Outreach talks about how he doesn't believe in product market fit until you get to 10 million in ARR. And how do you get to product market fit? You have to stay close to your prospects because they are the voice of the customer. They are the people actively uh, voting on your product market fit with their dollars. So it is critical and essential for a founder to be in those conversations, not just to sell, but to tweak and refine the messaging, the product, the value proposition, the pricing, the business model, all of it, right? How can you expect any outside leader to, uh, to do that? And then third is I'm generally not in favor of managers until you get to about 50 people when it stops being scalable truly. Uh, and then focus on repeatability more than management. I love this. So essentially you are saying that, Aditya, this on one hand, what people are saying that, you know, the, the win rates will drop when you transition to um, to the non-founder-led cells, it's obvious. But the reason you are saying that, Aditya, because you you have better business context, you have better product context and your customer and competitor context as well. On one hand, I agree. But let me also probably push you back on one other area where I felt I was an engineer. And and actually, it was relevant to one of your LinkedIn posts recently. You also mentioned that the mistake that we made during doing discovery, right? We, as naive, we want to throw feature down. We're excited about the product as founders. We want to talk about us and not about them. And it took me a lot of time to understand this. So I had to read a lot of books about selling. Uh, read about psychology, marketing, think about, change my narrative, how I think about every time I'm talking to somebody. Now it's about them. It's not about me. And so when I think about that, I felt like this is where some of the salespeople who have been coached, trained, who has done it, these kind of things could be better off. So there are, yes, they don't have the business acumen in terms of the our industry, our product, but they at least would have the sales skills, the negotiation, how to handle how to write emails, how to write persuasive emails. But I have been not as satisfied with the quality of what I've seen. And then that brings to your point, there have been a lot of salespeople who actually were not truly qualified. Is that the reason that, this is another area that I've seen, this domain, the salespeople, is where the coaching is one of the highest invested uh, kind of um, tools, people, coaches, and I don't know why. Like, I haven't seen same level of coaching for engineers. I haven't seen same level of coaching for ma uh, marketing. But why is salespeople is supposed to, like, is it that really hard the way, and I know that a lot of sales leaders who are going to listen to this 
or these sales gurus who are going to listen to this on LinkedIn are going to hate this. But is this sale really that hard? Why do they need so much coaching? Look, here's the thing, right? If you want to build a business around something, the fastest way to do that is to say it's really hard, right? Because a lot of the people that are espousing that coaching is, you know, sales is very difficult and you need full-time coaches happen to also be coaches themselves, right? So in general, I would say follow the money trail. If the money trail goes back to their pocket, uh, you might want to take their advice with a pinch of salt. Uh, Look, uh, sales is hard, but not from the perspective that I think we think of. So I, for instance, look for people that have stamina more than people that have the ability to ask the what, how question, because all of that you can learn, right? Um, I would actually say if our investors had given us, you and me, the five essential books to read, on selling and on marketing, uh, it wouldn't have taken us 18 months to figure it out on our own and then randomly finding books, right? Like The Jolt uh, Effect, The Challenger Sale. There are a couple of really great books and they are very practical, um, right? So Never Split the Difference, my God, that is incredible. What a phenomenal book. So I think the technical part of sales, unless you're doing enterprise sales, is not that hard. The hard part is uh, people having enough stamina and enough creativity to be able to problem solve in real time. So it's almost like you want to be able, you are looking for people that can think on the fly, right? That's the thing that's very difficult, but I don't know how coachable that is personally. Uh, I mean, I might be wrong here, but... um, But again, I would index on hiring sales reps, totally. Hiring sales leaders at this stage. Interesting. And so now let's come back to that point that you mentioned. So essentially you're looking for salespeople early on who are problem solvers and uh, have some acumen about sales and business, how to talk and converse efficiently, but that can be coachable. I've learned one of the books, uh, so all the books that you mentioned, I read and totally vouched them. One other or one or two other books uh, I'll also recommend uh, that changed my, the way I think about it is spin selling. How do you ask this discovery question? Like, oh, I used to think, oh, I'm doing discovery. I'm asking questions. But those are all situational questions. And every single salesperson I've hired, I had to give them, recommend them this book. And I was surprised that they didn't know about this. This is such a phenomenal way to, and then there's all this, oh, discover the pain. And that's exactly what the spin selling talks about, situation, pain, impact, and the need to pay off. And it's, it's the right way. Now you know that, well, all the things that I used to do was very superficial. I need to go one level deeper. I need to go one level deeper. And trust me, this not only helped me in just a sales conversation, but across all my conversations. Now I've all my internal meetings that I do with the product team, brainstorming with my leadership, um, any customer, any feedback that I'm trying to understand, it changes the way how you think about and you take more curiosity, more interest on other people. So I would highly recommend that book. Another book I would recommend uh, is this, it's an old school, it's the Ultimate Sales Copy Later book. Um, it's a, so people used to write these uh, printed sales letters and uh, one pager sales copy and uh, it's about copywriting and how you think about influencing other people you have one pager and you have to and you're basically the sending that flyer to everyone else 
And so a phenomenal book, how to think about the copywriting. And all of my email writing skills I learned from that book. Uh, all the blog posts that I've write, landing pages I write, it's basically based on that framework. Moving on. So that was the thing. Now, if those are the skills that people want to pick up, let's say new salespeople joining in. When you're trying to hand it over to the new salespeople, what are your expectations, top two or three things that you do as a founder that you would want them to learn from you, pick from you, so that the transition from founder-led sales is as smooth as possible? It seems like you mentioned problem solving, but are there, are there any specific examples, some routine rigor that you follow for any deal, any opportunity that you would recommend? Yeah, so a couple of things. One thing I need all my sellers to pick up from me is business acumen. It is very important to understand the space that you are in, not just from a, you know, here's a battle card and here's a, a script of questions that you need to ask. Really understand, like if we sell to revenue leaders, right? You need to be able to understand what is the lifestyle of this person? Why will they get fired? What kinds of meetings are they in? What kind of pressure are they in? Who do they hate? Who do they think is their support system? Where do they go for advice? Um, what's their general aptitude towards using technology, towards buying software, towards um, data, right? So like, uh, to me, business acumen is something that is essential because, uh, again, we are a non-transactional sale, right? Because our average contract value tends to run higher, which is why the sales have to be more consultative. And in order to do a consultative sales motion, you need to be a trusted advisor and a thought partner for the prospect, right? We generally are selling to VPs and CROs, so they expect someone who can speak to them at their level. So business acumen is first and foremost, right? Uh, I want my sales reps to follow the top 100 CROs, see what they post about. I want them to learn how to read fundraising announcements and how to read quarterly earnings reports to understand the financials of a business. Um, I need them to pick up on the language that our persona uses to talk about their business, right? So business acumen is first and foremost. And second is uh, the um, uh, digging approach of discovery, right? Uh, again, the skimming versus digging. Uh, so digging being you start with basically what I've created for our sales team is a decision tree. Um, so value lives on the leaf nodes of the tree. Now, this is where being a computer science major helps, right? So basically, we make a decision tree and the value of Falcon lives in the leaf nodes. But we don't know when we start a conversation, which leaf nodes are relevant to the customer. And now, you know, the the product people that we are uh, in the first year of selling, we would start from the leaf nodes and then try to work our way up. Right. Um, where we start from now is what's the first question you can ask that helps you uh, scope out what part of the tree is lucrative? Then what's the next set of questions you ask to help you figure out further what part of the tree is relevant to this prospect? And by your third question, you should be quantifying the impact of what is being discussed. You have not talked about the product at all. So as an example, 
we solve use cases for the entire revenue life cycle. So the first question I ask a prospect is, and this is my decision one tree, right? Is, hey, so, you know, Falcon is a full platform that covers use cases from prospecting to renewal. Of course, we're not going to cover all of them in this meeting. So tell me, of these three, what's top of mind for you? Pipeline generation, closing deals, or protecting your revenue, right? They may say all three, but then I'll say, yeah, but if you think about H2 priorities, how would you sort them? And then they might say pipeline generation. Great. Now I've chopped my tree, my discovery tree into one third. So then I'll say, okay, so with pipeline generation, often we find that customers are struggling with generating pipeline because of these four reasons. Not enough inbound, not enough outbound meetings. MQL to SQO conversion rate is low or meeting the SQO rate is low. Which of these, sort these for me, like which of these is top of mind for you? Okay, so now we've gotten to, oh shit, their outbound motion is fucked and it's because meetings are being booked but not turning into SQOs. Great, so now I know you are worried about pipeline and it's because your meetings are not turning into SQOs. Now I am not going to go and sell you the product. I am going to quantify what is the cost of this problem to you, right? So for that, I need to ask some questions like how many meetings are you booking? How many meetings would you like to be booking? Oh, by the way, here's an industry benchmark of how many meetings you should be booking. What's your conversion rate? What would you like it to be? Here's a benchmark for what it should be. And what is your ACV? It's this. Great. So if I multiply the delta between your meetings booked and what it should be, your meeting to SQO conversion rate and what it should be, and multiply that with your ACV, is my math right that you're losing about $1.2 million in pipeline generation every month, right? Now you're cooking with butter. You've gotten to some place that is very meaty. Now they're interested in actually learning about how you solve the problem, right? So that's a skill I, I really appreciate sales reps need to pick this up from me. How did you learn this, to do this? This was somebody advise you or figured it out. And the reason I'm asking, you have, again, as I said early on, software engineer turned into product manager turn into this sales machine to think like one of the best salespeople. So where did you learn this? So I'll tell you, actually, the this is an opportunity to share uh, bad advice versus good advice. In the first year of Falcon, I didn't know any of this, right? So then I started reading books like just like you, very similar. And I've we've talked to so many founders that have the exact same journey, right? And I spoke with a lot of founders and I didn't ask them for advice. I asked them to do a disco with me uh, so I could see how they do discovery. And I started to pick up lessons because they were all technical people like me, um, because I wasn't even at a point where I could get advice from salespeople because they were talking a language I just simply didn't understand. Then I started to see some momentum. I still wasn't in the decision tree, but I had instinct because I was, what is the decision tree? It's me taking my sales learning and applying to it an analytical computer science-y way of solving a problem, right? That's my unique way of doing things. But then I started to share it with some of my sales advisors slash coaches at the time. And they basically told me I was wrong. And that that is not how sales are done. 
And then I spent nine months second guessing uh, myself and following their process, which was this laundry list of uh, questions and these bizarre statements like, tell me more. Because see, I didn't have confidence in my own intellect. So I was very easily um, willing to accept. Yeah, like leave my instinct aside and start pursuing advice that intuitively just felt wrong. So I'm going to go and execute my plan fully. And then I have a phenomenal true sales coach, Carl Ferreira. Because he actually is a competent seller and he loves selling, right? And so he's helped us refine this as well. Yeah, he's a customer of Avoma, so I'm glad that I'll give him a shout out to him also. <laughs> um, so this is amazing. So you believe that a lot of the time instinct played a role, but the natural curiosity <clears throat> that you had played probably a bigger role to try to understand why why this is not working and how I can make it better. And now when I'm thinking about this, when we hire new salespeople, obviously they're expecting some coaching, some scripts. And most of the time I've seen the playbooks that are defined. The the thing I liked about your approach was this whole binary tree-based kind of exploration. So this is an exploration area. It can go anywhere. And as the products are getting more mature, as we are solving more and more use cases, things it do get difficult. That's when it things get, when it's where one product, one use case, everything is easy, I get it. Then the script works really well. And this is where when you do the coaching and new onboarding training, all these possible use cases explaining to your new salesperson, it's also overwhelming for them. I mean, I feel for them that they can't comprehend. You have been living this problem for four or five years. They are here for four hours or whatever, maybe four days. They can't comprehend that. But when you try to capture maybe uh, one tree and one path at a time of a branch, it might be more comprehensible. But at the same time, one of the things I'm thinking, a lot of that we develop is based on our own research. A lot of, When we start, we also don't know a lot of it. We are researching our, you know, one of the common thing I get is there are so many competitors now we get. People have these objections like, oh, have you heard about this company? I'm like, no, because I don't know every alternative if there's new competitor. Well, then I'll go and do research look at their help document, look at their marketing messaging, understand how are they selling and what, how are they positioning it. And then we have to go and teach, coach this to our sales team as well. But at the same time, I was questioning our sales team and our even customer success team. I said, guys, at some point, I won't be able to keep up with the number of competitors that we're getting. You have to go and do the same level of research. I don't know more than you do. We both have the access to internet which is access to our competitor's website. Their help support documentation. That's how I'm learning. So the training that I'm going to build it for you is purely based on the knowledge I'm acquiring from the public knowledge that they have on the website. So do you believe that, and this is, goes back to the curiosity element, why do salespeople, do you believe, are struggling? There's so much knowledge about on YouTube, how to do discovery, how to uncover these problems. But I still see... Every time I'm hiring, it took me, to be honest, Mona, almost two years to feel that the salesperson that I hired was somebody I felt, bingo. This was the kind of salesperson I had to, I was trying to hire. Throughout the one to two year period, there was so much disappointment. 
why is it so? I mean, it goes back to maybe what you were saying early on. Why is the drive down? Because every time I hear, well, the sales dealers need to make more money. I'm like, there's no cap on the commission. Go make the opportunities yours. Doesn't matter the amount you're going to hustle and going to open the opportunities. You get the commission. You do all the stuff, recognition and rewards. Why still people are not working hard? Why the drive to grow themselves and educate themselves is still not there and they expect us to coach them and drive them? Yeah, I think unfortunately, uh, Aditya, this is, I, I do think a lot of this comes back to what's happened in the last five years with the tech industry specifically, right? Where selling has been so easy, right? You can talk about the weather with someone. Everyone was so fat and happy and flushed with cash that nobody really cared, right? People were scratching each other's backs, doing reciprocal deals and so on. I also think that we have to, uh, just like, you know, in engineering, we have a classification of DevOps uh, versus uh, infra versus backend versus front end versus machine learning versus data engineering, right? Um, sales needs its own classification. For instance, a, a single use case product and the skills required to sell that are very different. So a transactional sale that is sub 10K in ACV is very different from a 30K multi-stakeholder, maybe two or three use case sale versus selling a true platform where the use cases are essentially infinite. The stakeholders are infinite. Um, also, certain products lend themselves better to uh, internal builds, right? Uh, if if your entire, like for instance, conversational intelligence, you don't run into build versus buy as much as you would if you were in an analytics company where there is a completely different way to think about the problem, right? So one I would say is uh, even people that knew how to sell five years ago, uh, they have basically, it's like they haven't gone to the gym in five years because it's been so easy for everyone, Right. And now I think we're going to see the truly great sellers rise and everybody else is going to fall down, right? Second, I think is um, on paper, we are all SaaS companies, but in practice, we actually have very different sales motions and being able to identify what are the sellers that are most suitable for our sales motion and hiring that way is going to be really important. And then I think... um, one thing here is also the mistake that founders make in that they don't know how to interview sellers, right? Um, I think the first two sellers we hired and fired was 100% on us because we simply didn't know what the difference between good and not good was. I 100% agree. I mean, I tell the team all the time, every hire that did not work out in Avoma, largely it was my mistake. I was involved in every single interview and... Uh, didn't know at that time what was good. And I had certain expectations. Things were not still working out as per the expectations. And you're reading material online. But at the end of the day, sometimes you have to um, your own mistakes and learn from that as well. And I read recently, Jason Lemkin posted a couple of days ago, 2023 specifically has been uh, why it is harder for SaaS, specifically for sales. And in general, he was talking about since the beginning of the 2008-2009s, even at that recession, SaaS was not hit by that hard. The tech SaaS 
still was growing. And his belief was that every year, if you look at it, SaaS is getting easier, not easy, slightly easier compared to the previous year. More penetration, more awareness, all of that is happening. Obviously, 2021 and 2020 probably were the outliers where it was just order taking most of it. So much to your point, the VC funding. And for the first time, he was saying in 2023, we've gotten back to the roots. Now we are truly selling. We're talking about the ROI. There's more competitors. More uh, buyers are evaluating more. They have more options. They're now the director of sales cannot just go and purchase. Every CEO, CFO is involved in every single decision making. Everywhere things has gotten difficult. And this is where truly the salespeople who are genuinely curious, to your point, the consultative selling, uh, those are the ones who will shine and continue to perform really well. Um, moving, so this is one of the things that you mentioned earlier on. Moving from this point, this is really great, let's say, in the discovery phase and trying to understand the pain and the needs of the buyer. Uh, there's also something you talked about early on in one of your LinkedIn videos, passionate uh, about your the topic or the domain that you're selling, being passionate about that and knowing the product functionality really, really well. How much of, and historically I've seen one of the, um, I'll not name the company, and their CEO told me, Aditya, to close a deal, I have to pay commission to seven people. I said, what do you mean? He's like, there are BDR, SDRs, salespeople, uh, solution engineer, and whatnot, sales engineer, and then seven people in a deal, and then manager, and then the VP. That's the cut. And it, I was like, oh my God, how can that be efficient? Seven people involved in just selling the deal, just on the sales side. I'm not talking about even the customer success post-sale and all of that stuff. So then I was like, why do you need these solution engineers and all of that? Why can't you have salespeople to learn sell? It's like, well, these are enterprise salespeople and they they don't know how to, uh, they, they always had the solution engineers to demo the product and all of that. What is your point of view on this? Because you mentioned consultative selling and some of those things, but then do these people also need to go and get into the trenches, learn about every single product do, or do they need to rely on these solution engineers? Yeah, so I would say that um, the answer depends on uh, where you are in the sales cycle, right? So to me, if the first demo needs to be done by a solutions engineer, uh, you've got something seriously wrong because the first demo... now. I do think sales enablement has a role to play in creating a first demo environment with uh, rich and compelling data and write out use cases and really help the sales team learn how to do those demos. The first demo should not be something that should require a solutions engineer unless you are selling like $5 million deals and that first demo comes after 12 disco calls that have happened, right? Like that's a very different ballpark here. But I think a lot of what we've done is we have taken practices that are suitable for the Palantirs of the world, right? Where they're making multi-million dollar deals that take three years to close and they're selling the large governments and healthcare and pharma and whatnot. And we've tried to apply them to a 35K uh, deal as well. And that's just laziness, right? Um, that's like saying I'm cooking food for myself at home, but I need a sous chef and uh, someone to clean the dishes and someone else to go to the farmer's market and pick the, 
the vegetables or whatever this is not a industrial uh, kitchen like we're preparing small scale meals here right so um i do believe that the first demo in most cases should be done by your sales team your sales rep they should be able to ramp up and honestly if they can't demo it what hope do you have that your customer will understand what's being demoed right because we're not going into the nooks and crannies and the edge conditions of the product yet we're talking about value proposition we're talking about that deep discovery that we did and saying this is exactly how we'll solve this problem right now after that uh there's always you know it, again if it's a technical product there will always be one demo where you're trying to understand the back office of a product right like how do your integrations work how do you connect with snowflake what does snowflake data sharing mean for you guys blah 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 at that point i have no expectation that your sales rep knows um uh, what that is and you can bring an engineer for that or whoever doesn't matter um one other thing i'll say is i believe in today's day and age you as a sales rep cannot be perceived as a trusted advisor by your prospect if the second you need to show the product you need to hand it over to someone else you lose so much credibility in that moment because all you've done is basically told them your product is not something you know or understand you have no confidence in showing it because if you did you would have just shown it um and that either reflects poorly on the product so you're not going to make the deal or it reflects poorly on you which means now all questions will get directed to the person that's doing the demo and now you're going to feel compelled to bring them in the next meeting and the meeting after that and it delays the sales cycle to your point it loses the credibility and uh, yeah you're you're absolutely right but i love the framework that you're saying that at least don't do it in the initial demo calls be that level of confident invest in poking with your product break things don't try to assume that you're always going to get the sales engineer and uh, that that level of authenticity comes in when you know the ins and outs of the products and people have sometimes these questions during the demo every time if you say that well let me get back to you guess what happened now it, the conversation moved to the email rather than you could have moved the conversation right there i'm not saying that you need to know every little detail but i've seen and i think again going referring as god knows why i'm jason limkins fan now now for this call another mention of him he had talked about it that um the best sell people would be the people who would be understanding the product really really well it's a debatable question a lot of people talk about but nowadays with the level of maturity buyers already know everything that your marketing team is telling on the website so if you say the same value prop same messaging that's not they are here to book the demo call with you um but yeah yeah so uh one of the thing is mona in this process now we both are buyers and a lot of the time sellers ourselves as a ceo you're buying certain tools what in your opinion is the modern buying experience which also translates to what is the modern selling experience that uh today's buyers are expecting and uh, what are the mistakes that are we collectively as a people who are selling b2b software or even maybe um sales people are giving to our buyers and uh, the mistakes they are making or we are making to not deliver the experience that our buyers are looking for 
Yeah, so I think a few things. One, to me, the buying experience is uh, very unified, which is uh, if I am getting prospected by uh, a company and their marketing team knows this part of me and their sales team, and I can see it, it happens all the time. Uh, and I can, uh, so their sales team is reaching out to me with something. I think I shared with you this is example with Amplitude. Um uh, we've been using Amplitude for three years and um, their marketing team sends me emails that pretty much assume I have never logged into Amplitude at all. But they also send me product update announcements. So I'm like, which is it? Like either I'm in the earliest part of my journey where I don't know what product instrumentation is. So you're educating me. Or I am so knowledgeable about the product that you're announcing this itty bitty little feature on how to build cohorts. Which one am I? Right. So to me, the modern buying experience actually comes from our experience of buying as consumers, which is we expect that a brand, when they reach out to us, they have knowledge of who we are and how we interact with their complete brand, not just with their marketing team, their loyalty team, their sales team, their customer support team, right? Um, so one, I think uh, uh, the mistake we are making in selling is we are still very siloed across teams. Marketing has no idea what sales outreach is happening to the same accounts, same contacts. And then Nobody in go-to-market, for the most part, cares about product usage information. None. If you're in the business of selling software and you don't know how a co company uses your software, how can you have a knowledgeable conversation uh, with them, right? Again, I'll use the Amplitude example where I got an email. Actually, no, I'll use the Okta example. Um, Okta sent me an email uh, saying, hey, we would love to talk about expansion of this or that. And I was like, you do know that we tried this capability and decided that it wasn't for us, right? And the guy just went quiet for two weeks. And then he came back because he clearly dug up some product and usage information for our account and he had a better response. And then we had a conversation. Uh, so I think that not arming our sales teams with uh, bite-sized product usage insights is important. And this is one where I'll make a, a pet peeve be known. Uh, data engineers do not understand uh, sales reps. You give a sales rep 17 charts and you expect them to figure out what to say. It's not going to happen because that's not their background. You are not putting reports in front of a business executive. You need to give them something as text, which is sound bites. Here are the five things that happened in this account recently that you need to know about. It's in your email. Now go talk to them, right? Because you have everything coming up in 15 minutes. Um, so I think that's another mistake that we're making in modern selling is we are continuing to discount how to make product usage data useful for our sales teams and our marketing teams. This is so brilliant. And um, I'm a broken record here. We are still making these mistakes. And um, I think this is the challenge that we as a company, even early stage company, trying to really make sure that one of the things, and this also uh, we had these multiple different data tools, like marketing tool was different. 
then our sales tool was different then the customer success uh, or support tool was different and plumbing these tools together trying to give access to each member first of all then giving access to each one means the cost goes continues to goes across all the different platforms then um, we said screw all these different silo tools we went to hubspot all in one kind of an approach and obviously there was a little bit of uh, functionality gap experience gap that's there and that's the debate of all in one versus the best of the breed and um, so where which by the way which camp are you on nowadays uh, when you see or is it contextual or do you have a preference at where the state of the sales tech consolidation is happening where do you see the rev tech uh, the future is uh, do you continue to believe all in one is the right path to give this holistic understanding or do you believe uh, no best of the breed is the right way to do it and solve the problem the best possible way so i would say i still lean towards all in one because i think any uh, gains you make from one incremental feature in best of breed uh does not stand against or does not level up well enough against the benefits of being coordinated as one go to market team so i would say though when i say all in one i mean consolidation across marketing and sales not just within sales because those are the places where customers are having a a poor experience because our sales and marketing teams don't talk to each other right so um in general all in one the one exception i would have for that is if there is a very highly frequent uh workflow that affects a very large workforce and their experience is severely um uh impacted by an all in one solution you should uh, opt for best in class for that team as an example for us our engineers they are our, our company is still predominantly engineering and if they decide that their productivity will get hit because they don't have a particular tool that does code scanning we will use that tool instead of using code scanning that's available in a tool we already use because it's a very precious resource it's a highly frequent activity the daily pain associated with it for our core team is very high and that's why best of breed makes total i love this framework the very well explained that based on the frequency based on the usage i think it makes sense so don't make it just because as a company policy or trying to reduce the cost or the trying to reduce the um or the experience that you want to provide to a customer journey um this is phenomenal so mona you also talked about um product usage intelligence this is one of the first time i heard in the rev tech space that you are really bringing in and um, you know we talked about also early on and i've made a lot of mistakes in this trying to give access to our product team and then when our or or the sales team the product usage data to our sales team and it's not just giving the dump of the data the charts and all of that stuff it's really the insights that otherwise they are getting overwhelmed with what information should i share in what language and it seems like that's where falcon has a differentiated angle could you talk about more how are you thinking about this space what excites you more about the falcon what gap you see in the industry 
that differentiates Falcon compared to some other providers? Yeah, so I think our value curve is predicated on three key differentiators. First and foremost is at our heart, we're a data platform company, not an application company. And that's why our growth was actually quite slow in the beginning because we did a lot of the hard work up front, you know? Building an application and then trying to become a data platform is a lot harder than building a platform and then building applications on top of it, right? So uh, what that means is how that shows up for customers as a differentiator is everything from your Google Analytics data to your product usage data to your customer support data to your sales activity data to your marketing automation platform data is all joined and makes up this data foundation layer in Falcon, right? So for instance, when you think of ABM with Sixth Sense, what data can you, what does ABM do? It lets you build audiences and then send them to a system of action like LinkedIn or Marketo, right? Uh, Building an audience, that's not rocket science, right? The rocket science is how much data can you build the audience on top of? For instance, if you had to build an audience in Sixth Sense that said, give me all enterprise accounts where we have an active opportunity um, and the intent score is high, you can do that in Sixth Sense. But now if you wanted to build a segment or an audience that says, give me a list of accounts where we have three or more free trial users and the account intent score is high, and they happen to be a uh, an enterprise account, and they recently registered for a webinar, how do you do that? You can't because it's the underlying data gap that isn't there, right? So part one of Falcon and our biggest differentiation is if every other intelligence tool lets you reason over this data, we let you reason over this data, right? So everything is on steroids. It's 100x what you do the equivalent of in some other tool. Second is um, we believe in intelligence across the aisle more than intelligence within the aisle, right? So marketing intelligence for marketing, great, love it. But what's more important is how marketing and sales coordinate with each other. And how do those handoffs happen? You will hear this pain from your marketers often that they hosted a webinar, they generated a thousand leads. You as the CEO are like, what the fuck happened to those leads? And they are, you know, grabbing their CSV files and going after the SDRs and the SDRs are not following up on the leads in the right way. So it's that cross the aisle collaboration that we focus on. And then third and last is automation. We don't leave things at intelligence. We, if we can automate something, we will automate it. For instance, we identified this problem within our BDR team. They were spending 40% of their time finding ideal accounts, then finding three to five contacts within those accounts, then enrolling them either in HubSpot campaigns or in outreach sequences, and then monitoring those maniacally to figure out if a contact was multi-opening an email, now they'll put it in their call uh, log, right, to do cold calls on. We automated everything except the cold call part. Because you don't have to go searching for accounts in Zoom Info, right? You can just say, I want 100 accounts every day that have these criteria. Now within these accounts, go find me 30 contacts that have these criteria, then enroll them, score them, and then enroll the the half that have super high scores 
to this outreach sequence and then enroll the low scoring ones into this HubSpot sequence and now start automatically monitoring their engagement with these sequences. And as soon as any of them multi-opens an email, automatically put them in the dialer for the BDR. So the next time they open up their dialer app, the contact is right there and they can just dial, right? So that's the automation that we care about. Um, yeah, I can talk about this all day. No, Sorry. This is, that's why I wanted to, this, this is important because I wanted to see what this is, what the gap is there and what keeps you awake, what keeps you passionate about this problem. Um, so no, love it. Um, Mona, we are light, little about time here. One last thing I will always ask. A um, lot of sales leaders, salespeople or founders or investors are giving advice on LinkedIn or everywhere else. Uh, what is the one common advice that you most disagree with um, and you want to uh, kind of share your perspective on that? I know you have already been doing that, but I would still love to uh, see if there's one thing that stands out the most. Yeah. One, um, there is no mythical line that is you are at product market fit or you are not at product market fit. So stop chasing that line because it's the fastest way to make yourself crazy and to uh, provide excuses for why you are not seeing the traction that you should be seeing. Um, second is do not hire a sales leader until you have hit the 5 million in ARR mark. What you need, I know most uh, founders don't like selling, but that doesn't mean you hand it over. You got to do it. You need to hire really fantastic sellers and work with them as one of the team. And third, I would strongly encourage early stage companies to uh, provide higher base salaries and lower commissions to their sales reps so that uh, they can be more experimental, more creative, more curious, and not constantly worry about the fact that they can't pay their bills because they're not hitting their number and most of their comp is variable. Right? This is a refreshing tech and uh, that itself is another podcast episode doing the comp. Um, there are so many variations, so much advice around that. I've made multiple mistakes around that area. And this is still, I'm thinking about how do we really make it fair? Like why salespeople are the only one who have this 50% quota attached to, or the, their compensation attached to the performance, but the rest of the other teams are not. Couldn't get to, and if I try to always told people that, hey, you know, let's just do a higher base. Then there's some people like, well, 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 salespeople are here to make money and they want the upside. And I'm like, okay, so that's what you want. Take 50-50. And then that also does not work. So uh, that itself is a, another topic to discuss. Thank you again, Mona, for all the amazing actionable tips, perspectives, and opinions. This was exactly what I wanted to achieve from this conversation. Um, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, so LinkedIn, I'm pretty active. Just look me up, Mona Akmal. Uh, if you want to DM me, that's fine as well. And my email address is mona at falcon.ai, falcon with a K. See, it was very expensive. <laughs> thanks again, Mono. Um, thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you like, obviously, subscribe to our podcast. Watch us on YouTube, any other podcast app that you use. We are everywhere, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Thank you again. Bye-bye.